Good morning, everyone. We need to remember to pray for Grace George and Hannah, her daughter. Both of them have COVID, and that's why Charles isn't here speaking. So if you would turn in your scriptures to Luke chapter 17, Luke 17, we're going to begin reading at verse 17, and that will be our central text. That one verse will be the theme of what we want to look at today. Luke 17, verse 17, were there not 10 cleansed, but where are the nine? Now, back to verse 11, Luke 17, 11, now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him 10 men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God, fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not 10 cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. So I want you to think, I'm going to dramatize this a little bit for you. Ten men stood quite a distance away by themselves because of their disease, and they yelled to the Lord, Savior, Master, have mercy on us. They did have faith that he could heal them, probably because they'd heard of the single leper who was recently healed. This story is recounted in three verses in Matthew 8, 2 through 4. Now, ten more lepers wanted the same thing, to experience the same healing hand of the Lord. Jesus' reply tested their faith. Go show yourselves to the priest. Why would he do that? It's because the priest held the responsibility of protecting the Israelites from communicable diseases, according to Leviticus. If you had a communicable disease requiring isolation, only the priest could issue a certificate allowing you to rejoin the community. Apparently, all ten had faith, because although they had not been healed yet, they began walking toward the temple to show themselves to the priest. As they exercised their faith and walked, Scripture says, As they went, they became miraculously healed. None of them had argued with the Lord and said, Hey, that's not the way you did it with the other guy. You merely touched him and said, Be cleansed. And immediately he was healed. We want the same treatment you gave Simon the leper. But they didn't react that way. Instead, as they were obediently walking along toward the priest, they suddenly became healed. You would think all ten would have been overwhelmed with thankfulness and run back to thank the Lord for their healing, but that's not what happened. Only one, 10%, came back. The 90% were never heard from again. Each of us can judge them and say indignantly, what ingratitude, how thoughtless. These men were the most despicable order of ingrates. What's wrong with these guys? Is that how we feel? These nine were more ready to pray than to praise, more ready with petitions than thanksgiving. Jesus, have mercy on us. Is that so untypical? 
What about ourselves? We ready enough to cry out to God when we have a problem? But isn't it true that our prayers also outnumber our praises? Aren't we more ready to ask than to thank? I'm so glad that Tim Baldwin's prayer sheet each week starts out with items to thank the Lord for. That's what he starts out with. That's scripture. Shouldn't our prayer life have that same objective? I confess to you that it's much easier for me to ask than to thank. And I think that's typical of most of us. The psalmist says, Blessed be God who daily loads us with benefit. He does not pass them out stingily, but extravagantly loads us with them. Food, shelter, loving friends, chapel fellowship, memory, health, hope, loving family, grandchildren, day and night, summer and winter. He daily backs up his heavenly dump truck and dumps blessings on us. But what do we do? We tend to expect it as our due. In Psalm 23, the psalmist says, verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And sure enough, they do. What about future blessings and rewards? Well, they're included too. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What jubilant reasons for gratefulness and thankfulness are ours? What fantastic levels of goodness and mercy are heaped on us daily? I was on a business trip in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, when I discovered an old second-hand bookstore. I love those places. So I went in and began looking at the books while I was talking to the owner. He had taught literature at Harvard for years, but he quit because the students weren't as interested and their love of books was not apparent. So he just quit and started a bookstore. As we talked, I noticed that there was a 55-gallon oil drum in the center of the room filled with leather-bound books, which indicates that they're very old. I picked up one printed in 1849 entitled The Psalms, Hymns, Spiritual Songs of Isaac Watts. I asked him, how much for this book? He said, that's the trash barrel. No one wants those old Christian books, so I'm burning them. I said, if I could, I would empty my suitcase of clothes right now and fill them with these books. He said, help yourself. This is one of the books that I saved from the flames. What a book looks like when it's leather bound in 1840. I'm telling you that surely and goodness and mercy have fallen because that book had all 150 psalms written in meter and rhyme three different ways. All 150 long meter, short meter, and common meter. If you look in your hymn book, every most of our hymns are either short meter, long meter, or common meter. Plus, it had 1,000 additional hymns besides the psalms. Since I've just quoted the last verse of Psalm 23, I'll read you the rest of the psalm in meter and rhyme by Watts in this book that I saved from the flames. My shepherd will supply my need. Jehovah is his name. In pastures fresh, he makes me feed beside the living stream. He brings my wandering spirit back when I forsake his ways and leads me for his mercy's sake in paths of truth and grace. When I walk through the shades of death, thy presence is my stay. A word of thy supporting breath drives all my fears away. 
Thy hand, in spite of all my foes, doth still my table spread. My cup with blessings overflows. Thine oil anoints my head. The sure provision of my God attend me all my day. O may thy house be my abode, and all my work be praise. There would I find a settled rest, while others go and come. No more a stranger or a guest, but like a child at home. You know, goodness and mercy are heaped on us daily. And while that's happening, who among us can forget the foxhole promises of God so easily and glibly made? Lord, if you only get me out of this jam, then I will. And what follows is a promise of thanksgiving. Yet few of us ever remember, let alone deliver on those promises that we make to God in periods like that. In our Many service admit promising to trust Christ as their Savior if only he'll preserve their life in the foxhole while the hand grenades and the bullets are flying. Many men ruefully admit in later years that they forgot that promise to God after their life was spared. It's not just servicemen who cry out to God and then renege. One believer from Romania, Riley, observed that he had witnessed many communists on their deathbed. In 1970, Richard Wurmbrand told me that during the crunch situation in their lives, many communist men cried out to God. But when the crisis subsided, they embraced godless communism and atheism once again because it was expected and demanded by the government. Not to agree was to invite persecution and the end of privileges and career, just like Putin does with Russians today. However, when they knew they were dying, not one of them cried out to Marx or Lenin to save them. Instead, he had heard many of them call on the Lord Jesus Christ. In desperation, sailors at sea in a violent storm will call on the Lord from the time of Jonah down to our current day. In fact, Psalm 107 is written about that very crisis situation and quotes the terrified sailors. Turn with me, please, to Psalm 107. I'll show you what I'm talking about. This is a current thing, not just in Jonah's day, clear to today. Psalm 107, verse 23. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like drunken men and are at their wits' end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet, so he guides them to their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. Why do you think verse 31 and 32 are in there? I think they're inserted because men don't give thanks. They renege after the crisis has subsided. Verse 33, he turns rivers into a wilderness and the water springs into dry ground, the fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of those who dwell in it. He turns a wilderness into pools of water 
and dry land into water springs. There he makes the hungry dwell, and they may establish a city for a dwelling place, and sow fields and plant vineyards, that they may yield a fruitful harvest. He also blesses them, and they multiply greatly. And he does not let their cattle decrease. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and causes them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. Yet he sets the poor on high, far from affliction, and makes their families like a flock. The righteous see it and rejoice, and all iniquity stops its mouth. Whoever is wise will observe these things, and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord, the hesed of the Lord, the steadfast, loyal love of the Lord. That's what that word means, loving kindness, hesed in Hebrew. Often we are ungrateful people to our shame, to our shame. For example, take the statements, he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. He has abolished death. All things are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Great reasons from God's heavenly dump truck to compel us to give thanks and gratitude to God. And yet, sometimes we don't. Maybe those nine who went their own way were not so different from us after all. Human nature even today, even in us, boldly claims, this is my right. This is what I expect. This is what I deserve. Things which in reality are the sheer grace and goodness of God. Many things which I take for granted, I need to gratefully acknowledge as heaven-sent gifts and grace from the Lord. A few years ago, I saw a movie entitled Heaven Can Wait, starring Warren Beatty. When it comes to returning thanks to the Lord, many folks have adopted the idea that Christ can wait. That might have been why the nine lepers failed to return and give thanks. Other things are more important. Christ could wait. I've got to run home and tell my wife that I'm healed. After I see the priest, I've got to run see my folks, my friends, my kids, my boss at work, get my old job back. The Lord can wait. I've been quarantined for years, and now I've got big news to share with the fam. Christ can wait. In the end, they waited so long they forgot about him. And that's often the way it works today. We don't mean to be ungrateful, but we often rationalize our own attitude in the same way that the nine lepers did. But what did Jesus think about it? Listen to the pathos of expectation in his voice. Weren't there ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Well, Lord, it embarrasses us to admit this, but they're just like us. They're too busy to return to you and express their thanks. It's easier to sleep on Sunday morning, Lord, we'll say thanks another time. Or instead, we'll just show up 20 minutes late. Lord won't mind. Or we can just stay in our jammies and make this a Zoom Sunday. To be clear, I'm not talking about those who are aged or infirm or ill, or who have five kids that they have to get ready on Sunday morning and then have a flat tire. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about healthy people who could come one time to a worship This morning, there were 13 of us that were here on time. The other 40 came in during the next 45 minutes. <clears throat> talking about believers in good health who need the fellowship, who need encouragement, who need the kind, gentle shepherding of our elders, 
who need a hug for their body, soul, and their spirit instead of choosing to stay in their pajamas on Zoom. Do have a few people who do that. Well, the lepers forgot him until another. They could have asked among themselves, where is he now? Don't know. Where was he going? We forgot to ask. What shall we give him? Well, we hadn't thought of that. That might have been the way it went. It's often the way it goes today. In the narrative, the general mood among the former lepers was, Christ can wait. But there was one man who said, No, Christ shouldn't have to wait. The priests can wait. My wife can wait. My kids can wait. My job can wait. But not Christ. Not the grace and love which saved me. And if you nine will not go back with me, I'm going alone because I owe at least that much to him. His way of thinking and thanking the Lord was significant. He returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. He wasn't embarrassed to loudly proclaim his gratefulness. Most of us quietly murmur our thanks to the Lord so as not to startle or embarrass ourselves or anyone else. But this guy made a joyful noise to the God of his salvation. He loudly glorified God. If folks standing by were embarrassed, that was their problem. He didn't let inhibition stand in his way. On another occasion, some good religious folks asked the Lord, Master, rebuke your disciples. Don't you need to check these loud hosannas and hallelujahs? And like a shot, the answer came back, If these should hold their peace, then the very stones would cry out. And if I have no heart to praise him, After all he's done for me, why should I be surprised if the stones of the street cry out in thanks and give thanks that I have failed to offer? With a loud voice, he glorified God. That's Luke 17, verse 15. And he was a Samaritan, verse 16. Luke emphasizes that because to be a Samaritan was to be an outsider, an outcast, an alien from Israel. When he turned to go back to the Lord, the other nine might have jeered, well, let him go, he's not one of our class, he's not even a Jew, he's only a half-breed, a loser Samaritan. Isn't it unusual how the most unlikely folks are the first ones to respond to Jesus? The Lord comments on how extraordinary this was when he says, were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Years ago, when I was an elder here at Lake Howe, I served with a group of elders who had a very unusual relationship and testimony. Two of them had worked together at IBM for years, and they knew each other very well. One was a believer named Aaron Hamilton, and the other was a godless, profane man named Stan Skees. When Aaron worked with around Stan, He even warned other believers not to share the gospel with Stan or even give him a tract because he was verbally abusive and so profane. Aaron said, you'll never become a Christian. You're wasting your time sharing the gospel with that guy. He'll curse at you if you try to witness to him. He's a staunch Catholic. He's a loser Samaritan. After several years, Stan heard the gospel from someone else and trusted the Lord and became a missionary with New Tribes Mission. His life changed dramatically, in fact, 180 degrees. And within a few years, Aaron and Stan were serving the Lord together as elders with me in this chapel fellowship. 
Aaron would often say he never believed it would be possible for one man to radically change that. But the Lord is in the business of saving and changing the most unlikely people. And that's what happened with this Samaritan. That's important because it means there is some chance for each one of us, no matter our education or our social position. And praise be to God that that man is teaching both my grandchildren, even as I speak. So let's end our study today, not with the indifference of the nine, but with the gratitude of the one. If the ninefold apathy hurt the Lord, see how the one man's devotion cheered and made the Lord glad. It was a lonesome world for Jesus then, cold, critical, hostile, just like it is today. So that real loyalty when he came upon it was something that touched and moved. I ask you that same question that I ask myself. Do we realize that our poor stumbling words of devotion can cheer the soul of Christ? That our broken clay vessels can make a difference to our Redeemer? In case you don't believe it, it's written clearly in the gospel. Why did he choose 12 men? That they might be with him, says the evangelist, which means it encouraged him to have friends around him, even when they blundered and said goofy things. Mark 3.14, then he appointed 12 that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach. Too often that we focus on only the deity of our Redeemer instead of remembering that he was Son of Man. He was 100% man, yet 100% God. Let me tell you something. God doesn't sweat. God is spirit. He doesn't sweat. And yet the Son of Man sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. God doesn't get hungry. God doesn't get thirsty. He's spirit. The Son of Man got thirsty. He got hungry. God doesn't need anyone or anything. He is fully contained and happy within himself. The Son of Man wanted human companionship. chose 12 men. And one of them that he twelve of the twelve he even knew the vile man named Judas. He knew it. Shows him anyway. One of twelve men. While hanging on the cross at the last, forsaken, there came to through him through the darkness and agony a voice of devotion from one wretch who only moments before had been ridiculing him with the other thief. And he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What an affirmation the Lord Jesus received by the first convert who trusted him as a dying Savior. What an encouragement to the Lord as he thought of the poor, nameless Samaritan leper with his grateful heart, as well as the millions who would trust him in the future as the resurrected Savior, so that as the captain of their salvation, he might lead many sons to glory. Have you thought that you could do something like this for Christ, who has done everything for you? That your gratitude and loyalty mean a whole lot to God. So much, in fact, that he even rewards those who merely love his appearing. You get a reward for that. For just loving his appearing, there's a reward. The Lord has made it very plain. Matthew 25, verse 40. Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of these, the least my brethren, you have done it unto me. Our service to Christ cheers the heart of the Lord. Cheers our own hearts. Cheers the heart of these the least of my brethren. It'd be a wonderful thing if from this congregation and from every Christian soul, there went up to God a new surge of gratitude and thanksgiving. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who has crowned you with loving kindness and tender mercy, who daily loads you with gifts beyond all deserving and showers you with his blessing. May we give God the gratitude of the one instead of the indifference of the nine. Close in prayer. Blessed Lord, we bow in prayer, giving you thanks. First of all, giving you thousand thanksgiving we owe to our blessed we give you thanks. And this morning we would ask that you would remind us that grateful hearts are important to you. As we see the Son of Man who needed and responded to that. Give you thanks in Christ's name.